If you are new to Collective, um, last week we started, or if you weren't here last week, last week we started a brand new And as we're into the next few months looking at the, the popular Sermon on the Mount uh, in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is where we're going to be for the entirety of this series. Uh, and last week was really an intro, setting a foundation for what the series was going to be like and is going to be like. But today, we're going to get a little bit more into the meat. Uh, and here's what we know about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus, although gracious and merciful from the get-go, he kind of lays the law down for us, doesn't he? He kind of gives us the words and gives us the challenge uh, for us to live by. And what we are asking in this series, our goal is this, is we want to discover what the life of an everyday follower of Jesus looks like. What does a life, what does a life of an everyday follower of Jesus around here um, and specifically in this series because it's important to our mission. If we are following Jesus and if we are following the way of Jesus that he calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount, how does our life look or what should our life look like when we talk about living this way, an everyday follower of Jesus? Let's look at Matthew chapter five, and we're going to be in verse three. Let's start in verse two, and then we'll go to verse three and finish there. And he opened up his mouth, Jesus, and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to say that again, the verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to lay a little bit more foundation this morning as we dive into this uh, series because, and especially this verse, because you're going to hear this word beatitudes a lot throughout this series. Um, in the gospel of Matthew, there are eight beatitudes uh, that we're going to read. They, they start off with blessed or blessed. Um, and there's eight of them that we see in the book of Matthew. Uh, and we're going to spend a week on each of them. They're these short principles that God lays out of what the kingdom looks like from the beginning of here is what a kingdom life should look like. And so as we dive into these, just, just know this is what the Lord is calling us to this. What we reminded our people of last week was this. These are not, these are not rules of how we get into the kingdom, but these are how we live once we are in the kingdom. We put our trust and our faith in Christ, right? We start following him. That is, that is the only way into the kingdom. This today, that we're gonna to start today, these beatitudes, these are not how we get into the kingdom. These are not how we earn more of God's love. We cannot do that. That's, that's not possible according to scripture. But what this is, is principles of how we live when we are in the kingdom. So as we dive into this, this word beatitudes comes from the Latin word blessings, the word bless that you see at the beginning of Beatitudes in the Greek, it's the Greek word makarios, which, which means happy or fortunate. And so for our understanding, as we go week to week on these, these Beatitudes, just want to kind of give you a little bit of foundation to help with our understanding. It could say instead of blessed are the pure in, or pure in heart or blessed are the poor in spirit, it could say happy or fortunate are the poor in spirit. Just a little bit of understanding. We are fortunate, not because of our work, but we are fortunate and happy because of the blessings, which is why we get the blessed are the poor in spirit, because of the blessings of God. And so as we dive into this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's a little bit of debate, not a little bit, a lot of debate on the world of scholars and theology of what, what Matthew is actually saying, because there's this big divide. If you look at the gospels, Matthew has a sermon on the mount and Luke has a sermon on the mount. And they're not exactly the same. And we know the story. The gospels are written different times. Uh, they're, they're eyewitness accounts, right? And so there's going to be, as you would, you, you go somewhere, you have an experience, you and your spouse even are going to share what? Different experiences of those events, aren't you? 
You're going to share with your friends and stories that you're talking to your, your coworkers and your friends. You're going to share different aspects of the story. That's a little bit of what we get in the Gospels when we talk about the differences between them. Now, the debate centers really uh, on the difference between Luke's account and Matthew's account. Uh, our study's on Matthew's account, but I think it's appropriate to talk about the tension here. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. It'll be on the screen. This is Luke's account of the same beatitude. He says this, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor. Obviously Luke's account omits the spirit part, doesn't he? Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, but Luke says, blessed are the poor. And so there's a, a, a pretty wide range of debate on what is taking place and what is the actual meaning of these. Many have taken this to an extreme and they would say that uh, for, um, for, for those that really buy in, that look at the Luke chapter or Luke version of this, and they would say that uh, they've made a gospel about, that it's the gospel of helping the poor, almost a uh, social justice gospel. Now, I want to be careful with that word because that's a loaded phrase in our term, in our culture these days, isn't it? We want it's kind of a loaded, like, what does social justice mean? And what is justice and all the things? Uh, we've, we can kind of take it to an extreme and say that the gospel is just about helping the poor. Um, but here's the disclaimer that I want to give. As a church and as churches, the capital C church, we should be known in our world for taking care of those that are less fortunate. Hello? Amen. Amen. We should be known as people that are going into the places where needs are very prevalent. We should be known as that. And we have to be careful to separate culture from, to, from the Bible to make sure that we're not throwing out uh, what God has called us to do to serve those that are less fortunate and separating it from the political phrases of like social justice. So we see there can be this extreme that, um, yes, God calls us to care for the less fortunate, but they take it to where it becomes, that's all that they do. And historically... Christianity um, has, has done more for culture than any other religion, more for helping the, uh, uh, the, the, the less fortunate than any other religion in our world. We see hospitals, we see feeding programs. If you didn't see the, the email this last week, we're, we're collecting uh, strawberry uh, jelly for SOS ministry. SOS ministry, if you don't know, is an incredible, incredible ministry right here in Magnolia that serves hundreds of people every week that don't have the resources to be able to buy simple groceries like bread, peanut butter, and jelly. We should be doing those things, but the, 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 it's not about a social justice gospel. The other extreme that comes from Luke's account that people say is that if you are rich, then you can't be in the kingdom of God. Because it says, blessed are the poor, right? Blessed are the poor. And so yeah, we, we, we look at that, and if you take it to the extreme, it says that if you have too much or you're too wealthy, then you can't be a follower of Jesus. Now, while the Bible is certainly full of warnings and cautions towards those that have wealth and resources, um, as there are with many other things, I don't think biblically there's any reason why you can't be wealthy and a follower of Jesus. I think it's about your heart, if I read it correctly. It's about how, what you do with your resources, amen? And how you treat your, how, what God has given you and how you steward those things. In this instance, in Matthew, what we need to see is the, the context of what Jesus is saying here. Um, let's look back at Matthew's account. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if it isn't just about helping the poor physically, or if it's not just a warning about the wealthy, then what is it? What is, what is Matthew calling us to here? The, 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 really, the thing is, it's the poor in spirit is about seeing ourselves as spiritually unable to help ourselves. 
that we are spiritually unable to help ourselves in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that we have poor faith, but it means that without God and without his work, that, that we, we, are, we are helpless without what he has done for us. Craig Bloomberg, author, scholar, says this, the poor in spirit doesn't mean poor quality of faith. Rather, it is an acknowledgement of spiritual powerlessness and bankruptcy apart from Christ's work. Without Christ, without his work, we are spiritually bankrupt. Now in this debate between Matthew and Luke, I, I, I fall more into what, we're read, what I'm talking about here, that Matthew's line, what, what poor in spirit means, because what was more than likely in the background of these, the Jews' minds as they're sitting on this mountainside and Jesus begins his sermon, um, as a good Jew would, they would have been memorizing and studying the words of the prophets, the, the Torah, and then the prophets, and, and listening to the warnings and the prophecies of what is to come. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, and what it says. These, these words would have been ringing true. It says, all these things in my hand ha- has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one in whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who is humble. That word humble in the passage of Isaiah in Hebrew, it means poor or poor in spirit. And so today we're going to look at what it means to be poor in spirit. Interestingly enough, Jesus starts out this, this way of the kingdom, this way of Jesus by being, not doing. He starts off the way of the kingdom by being and not doing. This is a very important distinction for us to make. Because in our world, for many of us, we're hard workers, right? We, we like to accomplish things. We like to do things. Uh, and, and getting into the kingdom, it feels at times that we've got to do certain things to get into the kingdom. And God says, no, I just want you to be instead of do. This is important. So as we think about this, first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. The way of Jesus is for those that recognize their full dependence on him. The way of Jesus is for those that recognize their full dependence on him. This is why it starts off so counter to our culture. We, we live in a society where those that get by are the ones that help themselves, right? We live in a hard work, hard discipline society and culture, and that's, that's what we want. I mean, think about when you get frustrated with a coworker that is cutting corners or is lazy around the workplace. Don't we get frustrated at that? Don't you get frustrated and disappointed when somebody's like, come on, pull your weight, let's go. You got to work for it. You got to earn your salary, right? We, we say those things and we talk about those things. And I'm not saying that we, we have like biblical right to be lazy. That's not what I'm saying. But there is something in the, in the workplace that we can, we, we see those things. And it's like, I want them to be a harder worker. I want them to be more responsible, be a person of character. And Jesus says, hold on a second. This is not about helping yourself in the kingdom. This is about realizing that without Christ, you can't help yourself. We get frustrated but if we aren't careful, we can allow that mentality to pour into our churches and our theology as well. The, the truth is, is that regarding being in the kingdom, we did nothing to earn it. Not one thing. Nothing to earn it. Psalm chapter 86, verses 1 through 5 says this. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and I'm needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. 
What does he say from the beginning? Incline your ear, O Lord, answer me, for I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. King David writes this psalm and models for us the power of being poor in spirit. The ideas and the main idea is this, if you're taking notes. We have nothing to offer God, yet God offers everything to us. We have nothing to offer God, yet God offers everything to us. This is the gospel, isn't it? That, that when we come to him, we are broken and empty and destined for an eternity of damnation, eternal damnation. We, we know those things. We believe those things, that we are a broken and hurting human being. But yet in his mercy, while we were still sinners, what did he do for us? He died for us. And so, yes, we offer our worship. We offer our service, but those aren't things that save us. This is one of the things that we have to understand and really get a hold of in the ch- in church culture is that service, yes, it's important, but service does not put put another notch on your salvation belt spiritually. You can give all your resources and all your money to the kingdom, but without faith, guess what? You cannot do. You cannot be in the kingdom. It's not about work. It's not about doing all the things and earning and working for it. Because before our worship, before our service to Him we find ourselves helpless. Charles Spurgeon in one of his sermons on the Beatitudes says that a ladder's first step is always near to the ground. That when a ladder company builds a ladder, they put the first step near to the ground. Now, if you could imagine, if you were to build a ladder and you put the first step three or four feet off the ground, that's a pretty bad ladder, isn't it? Like, I don't know what age it is, but you get to a certain age to where you realize that you can't like just jump into the back of like a pickup truck anymore. <laughs> you realize like, like, and I, like, I'm even starting to figure this out. They, just yesterday, we were us playing basketball with Dalen and he's like, dad, can you dunk? And I was like, yeah, I was on an eight foot goal and barely made it. And I'm thinking like, I should be able to do this. Like I'm young enough to do this. I can handle this. Like I should be able to take that. But that th- first step three to four feet off the ground, that's not how we build a ladder. And what Spurgeon says is that with the first beatitude, poor in spirit, is that it's attainable for all, is that it's low to the ground. He throws this idea out that what if the first step of the ladder of the kingdom was to be pure in heart? What if the first step on the ladder to the kingdom was to be pure in heart? If that was the case, we're all in trouble, aren't we? If it was, if it, because we know this at our core, we know the darkness of our hearts, or don't we? We know what the, the thoughts that we have to capture in our minds when they're running around. If we don't, we don't have a good, good handle on our thoughts and our thought life and our minds, we know and understand there's some dark places that we can go to mentally and spiritually and, and, and sinfully in our world. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are dark. But what if it was to be pure in heart? There's no way we would be in the kingdom. We'd be out of the kingdom. Second thing is this, is that the way of Jesus leads us to a life void of pride. The way of Jesus leads us to a life void of pride. There is, um, I believe there's something inside human nature that when we do things, we want people to see it and know it, and we want people to be proud of us. And it, it starts even when you're a little child, right? Our kids, they bring us colored pictures all the time, right? Um, you know what I don't tell my kid when they bring me a colored picture that doesn't look very good? I don't tell them like, you need to go try again. I don't tell them that, do I? I'm like, 
We put it on the fridge, right? We're like, this is amazing, right? Like, this is awesome. Great that you, like, you colored all outside the lines. Okay, that's great. We're going to put that on the fridge. But we, we, our kids want that, right? They want the affirmation from us. They're coming to us like, dad, 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 dad I want you to see what I have done. I was, I was joking with our community group on Wednesdays that um, speaking of things that we want people to see is that you know how to tell if someone's in CrossFit or not? They'll tell you. <laughs> we want people to see what we're doing. We want people to notice what we're doing. There's something about it. But in the kingdom, it's not how it works. We don't serve the church. We don't serve the kingdom because we want to be noticed or seen. We serve the kingdom because of the work that Christ has done for us. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be recognized for your work. I mean, we've got an incredible team of volunteers that set and tear down this place every single Sunday. And you know what? Every Saturday night, it, that, that alarm, you set that alarm and it's like, yeah, it's going to be an early Sunday morning. But you know, they serve and they do an incredible job. We, we recognize and we honor the, the work that people do in the church and in the kingdom, but we don't do it for the recognition. What happens over time is that we can see our serving and our worship through a lens of pride. We would never say it, but it, we get this attitude and this mentality of, look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. And Jesus, so counter to our hearts and our culture, says, it's not your work. I want you to sit. I want you to be. I want you to realize that without me, you're helpless. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. says, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. That word scornful, meaning the one that brags or, or boasts, or uh, it's in direct contrast to the humble, right? Like the one that brags, he's going to be scornful too. The one that is humble, he gives favor. This is a, this verse in Proverbs is quoted by both Peter and James in their books in the New Testament. James chapter four, six, another verse moving a little bit quickly. I know, but uh, this one will be on the screen as well. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a beautiful passage. Being poor in spirit means that we push away the pride that so easily rises up in us and we live in humbleness. That's why salvation cannot be earned by our works. Because if it was, would we not be boasting? Would we not be, be promoting ourselves if we could earn our way into some special club that we might label as Christianity or the church? Would we not like put, project, project all the good things that we have done? And it's like, look what I've accomplished in the kingdom. And she says, no, it's not what you've accomplished. That's pride. It's about what I've accomplished. Our natural inclination is not humbleness, yet Christ starts out the kingdom with it. Scholar Douglas Moose says this, God's gift of sustaining grace is enjoyed only by those willing to admit their need and accept the gift. The proud, on the other hand, meet only resistance from God. We can choose pride or we can choose humbleness. One leads to an intimate relationship with God. The other leads to opposition. 
And it seems like an easy choice, doesn't it? When I label it that way, when I, when I, when I frame it that way, it's like, yeah, obviously we want to choose humbleness. But doesn't pride so easily rise up in all of us? Doesn't pride so easily, uh, we, we so easily project those things like, look what I've done and who I've, who I've, what I've done for the kingdom of God. Like there's, um, there's a missionary, one of the first missionaries to China, they believe is the first missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. They asked him this question, one of uh, uh, a friend of their friend of the family asked him this question. I said, "How do you live without pride by doing so much in the kingdom?" And this is somebody that spent over fifty years in China um, as a missionary uh, and just did incredible, incredible work. And his first response to her was, "I didn't realize that I had done anything in the kingdom." Would that be our go-to or just be like, no, I, I, need my, I need my name on a plaque on the side of the church building because I've done some good things for the kingdom. The third thing is this, write this down if you're taking notes. We are simply beggars at the table of the king. We are beggars at the table of the king. What is our natural response when you see somebody that is homeless or uh, a beggar. Our first reaction may be what, like, you know, a sadness, some empathy for that person, what they do. Um, but in our culture, we have this, we have this really big, um, I think it, it, there are reasons for it, but we, we uh, are a little bit jaded, aren't we? As soon as, as soon as we see somebody, we automatically think you're there because your choices. You're there because you don't want to work. You're there because you messed up. Like, right, right, there's, there's something in us. Like, we pull through the stoplight, what do we do? We roll our windows up and we lock the doors. And I'm not saying, like, go around to the bad parts of town and roll your windows down. Anybody want to ride? I'm not saying do that. But I'm saying, like, what is our natural response when we see somebody that is a beggar or somebody that is homeless? Think about that and think about the, think about the emotional state of that person. And Jesus says, that's, that's who you are in regards to your spirituality. Author Daniel Aiken says that the idea of being poor in spirit is that of a spiritual beggar laying under the table of the master, wishing and waiting for crumbs to fall off the table. The idea being that without God and his work, that there is nothing we can do but beg. This is the message that Jesus is trying to convey to us, that we aren't the ones sitting at the head of the table with fine clothes and jewelry being served. Spiritually speaking, we're the beggar waiting for the crumbs to drop. This is the life that Jesus says is blessed. Yet, we often think of ourselves as the special guest in the place of honor sitting at the head of the table. Look what I've done for the kingdom. And Jesus says, no. Regarding your salvation, regarding your spiritual life, you're the beggar under the table. There's an old hymn, Rock of Ages, that I think describes it well. And the lyrics of it say, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. When we begin to see ourselves as completely helpless without Jesus, then we're going to start to see how we live out the way of Jesus. 
we have nothing to offer God, yet he offers everything to us. Just bow your heads with me this morning.